right. Thank you, Mandy, for being my guest on the Now of Work podcast. It is so good to have you here. Jess, I'm so happy to be here today. Yeah. So I shared with you before we started recording, I've sort of been stalking canaries (laughs) (laughs) when my good friend Lisa goes to work for a company like Canaries. I know that it's meaningful and there's something there. And as soon as I started following your company, your work, your message, I do know how important your work is now more than ever. So without further ado, would you please Tell our audience a little bit about your company and, and your role and kind of why, why, why you're doing this work right now. Yeah, sure. So, you know, it's hard to believe that we started the company three years ago. Um, but yeah, it's been three years now. And we started this work not only because of our own personal experiences. Um, there's three co-founders, me, uh, Star Carter and Benny King. And we all are people of color and had worked in corporate America for for decades, as well as really been involved with our organization's diversity, equity, inclusion initiative. So we have a unique perspective of not only going through challenges as a person of color and trying to navigate those in the workplace, but also how trying to ensure that our organizations had best in class diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives. And so I had the experience of Uh, being afraid to speak up or trying to figure out how do I address issues of race in the workplace uh, without having my career uh, ruined or feeling like I've been pigeonholed because a lot of times when people speak up right they don't they're not seen as wanting to be helpful and improve the workplace there's being they're seen as the problem and so we knew one of the first things we wanted to do with Canaries was create those long-term feedback mechanisms so that employees had a way to really express these issues uh, anonymously and without any fear of retribution or retaliation. And then, you know, our other lens was coming from it from that DI practitioner standpoint of how do we equip the organizations with the data and the information, the resources that they need to really drive diversity, equity, inclusion forward. Um, You know, I feel like the organizations I worked at were very well intentioned, but we were kind of stuck where a lot of organizations are, which is we were doing Black History Month and Pride Month and bringing in speakers and, you know, we would do our annual uh, unconscious bias training, but I was still left feeling like there's, there has to be something more. Because when I looked at our organization and saw the, the demographics right at the entry level positions, and saw that women were 50% of that. But then as we kind of looked up the ladder and what are the percentage of women that made partner, it was it was 18% on the good years. And I knew that we needed to really be internalizing and looking introspectively at our organization to say, what can we be doing to ensure that we're creating this inclusive and equitable environment? And so decided to resign from the partnership of my law firm to create those tools that I thought was so desperately needed. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much for being a part of this work. And uh, something came to mind when you were telling that story, this now of work community that that we've created, that this podcast is a part of, was, was really created to provide a space, to provide uh, a place where people could connect, inspire each other, show each other support. And in one of our community meetups last summer, I guess it would have been around June, it was after George Floyd, we were addressing 
very openly um, how companies can talk about race at work and address the trauma of, of their workforce that some in particular would be feeling more than others and how, how to create a place of psychological safety for their people. And we stopped mid conversation and, and asked our audience, big, big audience, do you feel your place of work is a safe space? And 75% said they did not consider their place of work to be a safe space. So how do you even broach race at work or uh, allow people to show up as their full self if that's not considered to be a safe space to show up and to talk about real issues, to talk about what's meaningful to you. And so that's a huge problem. You can't, you can't really do the work of DNI unless you have done the more foundational work of letting people show up as themselves whatever that looks like, whatever that means, and feel a sense of safety. Then you can start to have other conversations around what do you need and what does this mean to you and how can we better support you? Um, so it's I love the feedback loop and the fact that it does come, it's anonymous and it comes from the perspective of the employee. Perhaps the best way to have these conversations is to listen, right? And to create that safe space. Um, and, and to provide that psychological safety for people. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's critical. And especially when you're working with underrepresented groups, it takes on increased significance. Um, you know, I know when I was working uh, in big organizations, I always felt like I would be identified, especially if I'm talking about something among race. Uh, I was in an organization where within my department, I was the most senior black person. Um, and so this is a struggle that a lot of employees and individuals have is how do I bring up these issues in a way where I'm not going to be identified and have that retaliation. And so all of that kind of consideration of being the only right and knowing what it feels like to be the only in the workplace went into the framework and the design of canaries and our technology and the way we create these feedback mechanisms uh, for the employees so that they can provide that feedback and know that their uh, experiences are gonna be aggregated with, with others, right? And so that the organization can see the statistical anomalies that exist. And so they can see the system-wide trends and in, in, in issues, but at the same time, the employees knowing that um, if I am the only, that is gonna be protected because our technology protects that and looks for those things to say, okay, we can't present this data or this information on our dashboards because it's gonna out or reveal someone's identity. So I love the mechanism that you've created to give people a space and a, and a place and a way to have a voice, to, be, to provide authentic feedback in a way that they feel safe and protected a judgment-free zone, uh, what a demonstration of empathy, right? And, and dignifying everybody's voice by giving them a way uh, to use it. What's interesting about the function of human resources, who are the stewards, the shepherds of the workforce? It's their job to, you know, to, to the care and feeding of the workforce falls to human resources. And we do need to rethink the function as, as that, as 
as the, the people inside the organizations who empower, who keep safe, who, who show care, who design experiences for people. Uh, and that might be an uncomfortable, there are some, you know, some skills and some capabilities that maybe don't feel natural or haven't been traditionally part of the human resources function, but they need to be. And last year was the perfect example of multiple pandemics. We have a global health pandemic. So suddenly the physical safety and the actual physical health and medical needs of, of the workforce became front and center, the most predominant thing we could think about, how to keep people physically safe in environments that were suitable for them. And then we had social justice uh, pandemic and financial crises and all. So now, we, now we're addressing the mental wellness and needs and the financial welfare and the social and behavioral and emotional needs of the workforce in way different ways than we've ever had to address these things before. Um, so daunting, it's rather daunting for HR to think about whole person well-being and addressing all the facets that are included in that. So in the feedback loop that you've created, what is there that allows managers or human resources or any, what comes next with that feedback? Do they know what to do with it? Or is there some coaching that needs to happen there? Yeah, no, great question. So in addition to those feedback loops, one of the things we do is we uh, do assessments because we know with diversity, equity, and inclusion, sometimes people are unsure of where do, where do I start? Where do I approach this, right? I think, you know, people have a good grasp around diversity, um, given that that's more around you know, someone's identity and there's a lot of measurement around head counts and retention rates and all of that. But really understanding how to measure equity inclusion in the workplace is usually uh, where we start with our clients because they're just unsure of what should I even be looking at? How do I diagnose this? And so we do that with our software and our technology where we uh, do those assessments, not only of your employees to get feedback from them on what are their experiences, what are their challenges, but we do an assessment on your systems. So we do look at your talent acquisition process, uh, your performance management process, looking at the way pay is structured and done within the organization. So we look at all of these systems because we know that the systems themselves can unintentionally perpetuate the inequities that we see. And so once we do those assessments um, and you're able to see all of this on our dashboards, we measure it because we believe that um, we have to have measurement and tracking in order to really uh, show our success and to improve over time. If we're not measuring and tracking, then it's really hard for us to judge the effectiveness and success of any programs we put into place. So once we do that initial measurement, um, then we have a recommendation plan. So our customer success managers, we have full-time DNI professionals and consultants that are on our team, as well as data scientists. So we don't just say, go look at all these dashboards and figure it out. We uh, hold your hand, become an extension of your team and help you walk through, this is what we're seeing within your organization. These are the steps that we think you can take immediately. This is the plan that we think we should roll out within the next six months, within the next year. And then we continue on a quarterly basis to do the assessments, to measure the effectiveness of the plan we've put in place. But yes, uh, we know that HR professionals already have so much on their shoulders. Um, and you know, a lot of times 
what we've seen, especially with everything that rolled out um, this summer with the social justice initiatives, is that a lot of HR professionals maybe weren't completely in the loop when a lot of the mandates were made, right? Of saying within the next five years, our demographics of our workplace are gonna look like the demographics of our country. Or we've seen metrics around uh, kind of ascension into C-suite and, and middle uh, uh, level uh, manager positions. And so uh, when we talk with some of our clients, some of them are at a loss of saying, how are we going to get there? Because I wasn't even consulted right around the kind of goals and metrics we were putting out there. And so that's what our team is for, is to help formulate that long-term strategy, to help provide that measurement and to understand what are the best practices that we actually need to be putting in place from a systems, policies, practices standpoint to really elevate inclusion and equity within the workplace. I love that. I love the measurement and the accountability um, because if it, you know, the, the old expression, if it, if it doesn't matter or if it matters, you should measure it. Yeah. Um, do you think, uh, and I, I'm a fan of compliance if it gets us doing the work. I'm a, you know, if, if we have basic measures and if we have benchmarks we're trying to achieve, and if we say, you know, this is the goal, our company is gonna look like the fabric of the community that we're a part of. That's great to have, uh, to have goals to help us move the needle in a meaningful way, because that's literally where we're at. We're literally just trying to move the needle in the most basic ways. We still have basic fairness and equity, you know, um, sort of things to achieve. There's a lot of like foundational work that still needs to be done. But do people really understand, like, what is the goal? What's Nirvana? Why are we doing any of this? Well, I absolutely agree with you, Jess. And I think a lot of the goals are around just diversity, right? Um, we've seen some other metrics and goals that may be around supplier diversity, right? Increasing um, the amount of vendors from underrepresented communities that we're doing work, which is again, a great, I think we wanna have everyone having set goals metrics that they're working towards. Um, because uh, like you said, if we're not measuring, if we don't have set goals, then there's no way we're moving anything forward. But I think where a lot of struggle is and why we see this revolving door with women and people of color and other underrepresented groups is because there's not a focus on inclusion and equity. So if we keep just the focus on, you know, we need to have, you know, this percentage of this demographic and this percentage of that, that that's a worthwhile goal. So I don't want to discount it, but we have to do more than that. We have to understand the challenges that exist within our workplace from that inclusion and equity standpoint and have metrics and goals around that as well. And that's one of the things that Canaries does is that we allow that to be measured on a departmental basis. Uh, inclusion, we allow it to be uh, measured in geographic locations as well as by division heads, right? So that this can really go into people's performance management reviews and they have an understanding of where I stand compared to others within my organization on these factors. But if we don't focus on inclusion and equity, we're gonna continue to see that revolving door. Talent is very smart. People don't stay places where they don't feel like they're included. They don't feel like they belong and they don't feel like there's any opportunity for them to succeed or thrive in that workplace. So we'll continue, you know, what I envision if companies don't uh, work on these issues is that they may hit those metrics and then the very next year they're going to see that talent leave. 
because they're not gonna stick around to a work environment that hasn't dealt with the issues of inclusion and equity. Yeah, I often say we, we have the acronym backwards. We start with diversity, whichever one you use, DNI, DEI, DEIB, all of them, we start with diversity, but without doing the other work to say, once we have attracted you here to join us and to do this work, we will have the environment, the space, the culture, the value system, the everyday behaviors so that you feel like you belong, you, um, you feel like you came to the right place and you feel like you can thrive and contribute in a way that's meaningful to you. Um, yeah, some of the stats that I have, uh, that I've uncovered in, in some of the messaging that you're putting out in the market, women are twice as likely as men to leave the workforce people of color are three and a half times. So people of color have it, when it comes to the you know, fairness and equitable practices and feeling equal opportunity, equal access to opportunity, to voice, to authority, uh, people of color have it worse than women. And this shouldn't be a competition in who have it, has it worse. <laughs> the fact is it's not equal. Uh, and we have and we have a problem. And so you can do all of the diversity work all day long, but to your point, you have to do, you have to create the actual environment where people can thrive. Absolutely. And that's where it becomes not just HR's job, right? It's everyone's job. And I think that um, for so long, it's been viewed as diversity, equity, inclusion is just the job of HR or it's the job of chief diversity officer who, you know, maybe handed that, that, that role to lead it up. So obviously putting together a strategy has to be someone's job, but, you know, one of the key things that we know is important is being able to measure this throughout the organization and be able to have those KPIs and metrics that we can put into the performance reviews to really measure this throughout the organization. So it's easy to measure, it sounds easy. We'll, we'll say that it's easy to measure diversity because you can count people, you can count demographics, you can count things. Uh, how do you measure inclusion and belonging? Is that where the feedback comes into play? It does. So um, we measure inclusion from the employees and we uh, look at a variety of different facets uh, where we are pulling in that information to measure that. And when we measure equity, right, we're, we're pulling in information from the employees, but we're actually pulling in a lot of objective factors as well from the systems and the practices and the policies of the organization. So one of the things that we do, um, because we know it's important to have various data points and to be able to benchmark is we track information on over a thousand different organizations so that we're able to produce those benchmarking mechanisms so that you're not just relying on your internal workforce analytics, but we really are able to create some um, benchmarks and metrics for you to understand how your workforce compares to others. So Mandy, I come from the talent acquisition space. My time in the, in the world of work and HR actually started uh, back in the day in, in recruitment, marketing, employer branding, hiring practices. Uh, and there's some old practices, some really old practices that like we needed to break those things, you know, decades ago. And I, I think the same thing applies to general talent practices, not just hiring practices. But there's things like 
you know, how do you, I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. How do you address pay equity if we are not transparent about pay information? Why don't we publish salary bans for the job, not specific to the candidate? Because if I am historically underrepresented in a job type or in a role or an industry, and if I am historically unequally paid <laughs> for that work, then how do you ever fix that cycle unless you tie the pay to the job, make it transparent and you pay like, so that's an example of something like, let's just get wild and crazy and say every single job has the pay information for that job publicly posted and everybody has access to that job and that pay. I don't care what your history, your pay history has been. I actually don't want to think about that because it's probably too low if you're in a certain class. Um, so let's just get wild and crazy and say, what if we, what if we published pay information <laughs> for everybody? Or well, what if we made our pay, pay information for our current employees public. Woo. How would we feel about that? <laughs> like well, what are some wild and crazy things that you would suggest? <laughs> I would, I would actually say that's not wild and crazy <laughs> where we need to be going. And I love that you use that example because that is exactly the type of things we do when we're doing the assessments of the systems and some of the recommendations that we provide. So if we go through and we see you're basing pay off of someone's previous pay history, which like you said, we know is rife with pay parity issues already. We know we have huge pay parity issues in our country. Um, we flag that. And that's one of the things that shows up on your recommendation screen is pay should be based off the job itself and not someone's previous pay history. So those are the types of things when we talk about doing an assessment of your systems that uh, we do so that you can really understand what are the best practices that should be put in place to ensure you're not creating this inequity within your organization that you may have not intended to, you're just saying, oh, their previous job was X, we're only gonna pay them two or three or maybe 5,000 more. And now you've created all this uh, uh, pay disparities within your organization. Talk to me a little bit, Mandy. One of the things I've noticed about, uh, about Canaries and the way you speak to the market and the opportunity, your definition of diversity is, is broad and it should be, and I love it. It's, it's really easy to rush to race and gender when we think about diversity, because those are the big categories that where we see the most mm -hmm. obvious inequities and challenges and and they're literally obvious, physically obvious, but there's so many types of diversity that are less obvious that also need to be considered. Will you talk to me a little bit about that? Yeah, sure. So we look at multivariate diversity and all of our measurements, everything we do within our dashboards and software look at that as well. So we're looking at, like you said, race and gender, which most people look at, but then we also look at religion. We look at sexual orientation, we look at parental status, we look at disability, we look at neurodiversity issues. So we look at a wide range of things as well as age, right? Because we know there's generational issues within the workplace as well. So we think all of this has to be measured and looked at to really have a full scale view of what's going on within our workplace. How do we know how to support our employees if we're not measuring and tracking all these various factors? And so what we do as well is we look at everything through an intersectionality lens, um, because we know that the issues that 
overall women may face may be very different than the issues that black women are faced versus disabled women or women who identify as being lesbian, right? So we need to make sure that we have strategies in place to support our employees. And that's what we do with that data. When we start to see those statistical anomalies, we say, oh, wow, you know, this, this portion of our employee base and population is struggling. We really need to put forth and do some interventions to ensure that we're able to uh, support those employees and ensure that all of our employees are able to thrive. You know, I, I get excited when I think about um, the power of technology to, um, to help in this regard. It can be a, a fantastic solution. I love that you address some of the inherent issues that might exist within systems and that kind of thing. Um, but the power of technology, when I think about supporting um, people at scale, providing individualized, personalized, you know, sort of tailored, relevant experiences and resources and support groups and, and mechanisms, that can seem daunting to an employer with a, a complex, Multi, multinational, widely varied workforce. How do you possibly deliver personalization at scale? How do you meet people where they are when everybody is unique and diverse and complex and has different needs to your point? And we want to honor that and respect that. But how do you, you know, don't you need to paint some things with a broad brushstroke because you need to scale and sustain and, and support it? That's the power. I'm such a geek sometimes for the technology, but that's the power and opportunity of technology that you can personalize at scale. You can have a different experience. You can have access to things that is unique to you, to your role, to your job function, to your geography, to who you are and how you work and operate that might look different than how I access work and connect to my to my coworkers and how I get resources and that kind of thing. So, so technology has a role to play here. Experience design has a role to play here. And it really can dignify work by dignifying the unique individual who's doing it and really understand. And, and again, it almost has to be from the bottom up. It has to be employee driven. It has to be solicited at an individual level so that you're sort of designing your own experience or, or creating your own, um, you know, feedback loops and that kind of thing. You're informing your manager and your company and your leadership structures, what you need and how they can support you. That's a really important shift. I don't think we've seen that in the space of workforce experience yet. Yeah, well, we viewed it as critical, right? Because so often, and again, this is from our own experiences, how we've designed a lot of the technology and the way it functions, is that I knew that the issues within my department and geographic location were completely different than some of my colleagues that I would talk to in a different office. And so what we're able to do is um, do that custom design that you talked about at scale. Um, we've had clients that come and work with us and they say, you know, we have problems uh, retaining black women. We know that this is our issue, but we can't really figure out what's going on. Well, once we went in and actually did the assessment, started looking at the data, we were able to isolate and say, you have a problem with black women, but it's really in these, these locations. 
And so that we were able to design things for those specific locations that were unique and different than uh, maybe, you know, some of the strategies that were put in place uh, within other geographic locations. So I think being able to be very uh, prescriptive and have that precision is important. Otherwise, you're doing things that are ineffective. Mandy, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you. I dug for it and I found it. But for everybody else listening who doesn't know what Canaries means or where the name came from, first of all, am I saying it correctly? I think uh, Canaries, that's right. <laughs> where did the name come from? So the name comes from Canary in the Coal Mine. Um, you know, Canaries were taken into coal mines uh, to ensure the health of the workplace. Uh, just like diversity, equity, inclusion issues, right, that are sometimes hard for organizations to spot, they can't quite put their finger on it. It was the same with the canaries taking, going into the coal mines. Uh, the gas uh, was colorless, odorless, tasteless. And so they were that first alert for the, for the workers. Uh, and so we're that same first alert where we help organizations really understand what's going on and to ensure that they're having that healthy work environment. I love that so much. Such a great story behind the name of your company. Have you ever heard from an employee, a, a story, an actual story of someone who said their experience changed as a result of being heard? Oh, absolutely. I get tons of messages on, on LinkedIn um, from employees that are at companies that we work at uh, or, and that are partnering with us thanking me for the work. And I can't tell you, um, this is the best feeling that I have. Um, you know, someone asked, you know, how do you measure success? And I said, that's how I measure success and the effectiveness of our work that people I've never met. Uh, you know, I'm not going in doing these trainings or doing the assessments, but they looked up canaries and felt compelled to tell me that uh, this is the first time that they've had a voice, right? I've had people that have been working at places 20 years and say, I wanna thank you for the work that you're doing. I feel like my company actually cares about diversity, equity, inclusion. This is the first time that I felt like I've had a voice here. And that lets me know that the work we're doing is impactful and making a difference. Oh, I love that. Mandy, thank you so much for your time. Thank you to the whole team at Canaries who's doing this work. It's so important. It's always been important. And, and now we have sort of this, you know, conditions are ripe. I think appetites are higher than they've ever been to, to be real, to be real and to humanize work and to show real empathy and care for people in ways that we never thought to do before. So thank you so much for being my guest today. Thank you. I've enjoyed the conversation.